This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 131, and I am interviewing Carmen Cool, psychotherapist, about how to move past the rebellious streak that happens when we stop dieting, how to care for ourselves during political turmoil, and more. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 131. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to Camille, who left this awesome review. So refreshing. Summer is funny, honest, and edgy, but she's also seriously smart, thoughtful, and compassionate. Her advice and ideas aren't just inspiring, they're practical, doable, and doable, and they just might change your life. Plus, the interviews are awesome, too. I always feel great after listening. Thank you so much. That was such a thoughtful review. You can leave a review and help others to find this show and the information that you're learning here by going to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, and then clicking Ratings and Reviews, and click to leave a review or give it a rating. I would greatly appreciate if you if you did that. And don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes or whatever platform you are using so you never miss an episode. Lastly, don't forget to grab the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Today's guest is Carmen Cool. Carmen is a psychotherapist, educator, speaker, and a cupcake connoisseur. She has been a therapist for 19 years and works primarily with binge eating disorder. She has also started and run a nonprofit, created youth programs, and speaks internationally on health at every size, feminism, and eating disorders, and weight stigma. Her work is focused on dismantling diet culture, being our body's advocate, and supporting the next generation of body positive leaders. Because she believes that the way people are treated in the society affects their health, she engages in activism whenever possible. She is the past board president of the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health, was named Most Inspiring Individual in Boulder, Colorado, and was the recipient recipient of the Excellence in Eating Disorder Advocacy Award in Washington, D.C. Carmen is brilliant, and I love the way she thinks about things, and I think you're really going to love this episode. Check it out. Hi, Carmen. Welcome to the show. Hi, Summer. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. You've been on my radar for a while, so I'm really glad I was able to have you on this season of the podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much for asking me. Good. Well, for people who don't know about you or your work, I would love you to tell our listeners a little bit more about your story and how you got into the work that you do today. Sure. So I am currently a psychotherapist in Boulder, Colorado, and I do one-on-one work with people, but I also do groups and a lot of education and a lot of 
trainings and speaking and um, advocacy and activism whenever I can. And the way that I got into the work was through my own personal experience and my own journey of healing from an eating disorder. And it's hard to know where to start with that because it's such a, uh, it's been a while. So I entered eating disorder treatment, um, I think when I was 23 and I'm going to be 53 here in a couple of months. So it feels like another lifetime ago. And Mm -hmm. yet, and yet I think the healing from a fat phobic world is the thing that's ongoing, um, more so than anything. So I think from early on in my life, I've always felt uh, myself undone in some ways by being really self-conscious about my body. And that started in some ways really early when I was born bald and I didn't get hair until I was maybe three. (laughs) And so there was this panic in a way, or there was an effort to make myself look like a girl by my, by my family. And that was putting sewing lace onto my socks or always putting a bonnet on my head. And of course there's lots of stuff in there around gender. Um, but there was, there was a way that I learned that the way that I looked in the world meant a lot to people around me. And And that there was, you know, just like I said, a real self-consciousness around all aspects of my body. And, you know, I have, I have a physical inheritance where my, my body's, it's wide and it's short-waisted and it's stocky. And that's, that's where I come from. And that was not something that I was okay with for a large part of my growing up in my life. And, you know, I grew up in a, in a, in a period of time where all of the adults, adults in my life were dieting. Like it was the, it was the part of, it was the part where everyone was on, I forget what the diet was. The Gloria Marshall fitness center was around. Everyone was drinking tab. Everyone was, Mm -hmm. you know, we were making Weight Watchers sandwiches at home. It was just the thing that was happening. Um, and I remember being 10 years old and it was the, the, all my family had gathered together for Thanksgiving dinner. And it was the period of time where after dinner, all the women were hanging out in the kitchen and, talking, right? And it was it was also the year that this is so funny, I remember this so strongly, but it, we had an electric carving knife. And it was the first time I had ever seen this, right? And so my memory was of all of the times before, um, my dad usually was kind of struggling to carve the turkey. And this year, he just plugged in a knife and turned it on and it just so effortlessly sliced through through the bird. And I remember looking down at my belly, and I gathered it in my hands. And I said, I wish I could slice through my belly the way we just sliced through the turkey. Oh, wow. And I remember looking back and thinking that was a perfect moment for an intervention. If somebody had heard me and heard the feelings I was starting to have about myself that I wasn't even aware of yet, it might have changed a lot in, in terms of the direction my life went. But what I heard instead was a version of everyone saying, me too. Me too. Oh, I'd love to be able to do that. I'd, I wish I could do that to this part of my body. Or wouldn't that be great if, if we had that capability? And I think I learned that most women hated their body because everybody joined in that conversation. I learned that there was something wrong with mine because nobody actually argued with me about that belief that I had. And then there was something also about how fast community formed around self-hatred. Yes. And how instant common shared language that everyone joined around. And I think it took me years to come back to that moment and think, if we could form community around self-hatred, there's no reason why we can't tear that down and learn how to form community around learning to fight the systems that set that up. And also around learning how to be okay with ourselves just the way we are 
or that's not true for everybody actually, but learn how to learn how to not have self-hatred be the thing that drives our decisions and our feelings about ourselves. So, you know, not that that was a, an easy journey for me to get to. Certainly there were lots of twists and turns, like I think, like I said, that included um, hospitalization for an eating disorder. Um, my sister also went down the path of an eating disorder and she died from hers um, when she was um, in her later 30s. So there's a way that the work then that I do feels like it's always been wanted to be situated at the intersection of eating disorder recovery and fat stigma, because um, I don't think we can actually separate those two things out. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was not at all a linear story. Um, oh, no, it was. That's just what came out. Okay. Yes, yes. And I'm I'm really sorry to hear about your sister. I I can't even imagine experiencing that. I uh, But I'm curious to know, you know, like, you talked about the importance of eating disorder recovery and, and weight stigma mm-hmm. and weaving those things, two things together. So how did, I mean, how did you find health at every size and fat acceptance and what were your thoughts when you first discovered it? Yeah. So it's a great question. So health at every size and fat acceptance had everything to do with my cover, my recovery. I went into treatment with Susan Woolley Like I said, this was a long time ago. She's not practicing anymore, but she was an amazing human and healer and feminist. And she was in a very large body. And so I had this, I mean, her presence actually, when I first met her, I was terrified. (laughs) Um, I had this initial thought of like, I'm scared, actually, like, I don't know, I don't know what to make of her. I don't know what to make of her body. I'm scared that I might become the thing that I'm the most afraid of. Um, But that didn't last very long, actually, because it was replaced by this knowing that, you know, I thought thinness would bring me success and power and attractiveness. But Susan was in front of me as an embodiment of all of those things in the body she was in. And so it started to just dismantle like my ideas of what success and and power and authority and confidence was supposed to look like. Um, And so in a way, her presence had a pretty destabilizing impact on me. Um, As she had a very political and radical stance back then, she was an activist. And everything that she was saying made sense to me and made sense of me. And so she actually was introducing me to the people and the concepts that would eventually turn into health at every size. It wasn't named that then, but she was definitely into the fat acceptance world. So it's been an accompaniment to me from the very beginning of my recovery, which I feel very lucky for. So in some ways, I think I grew up in the lap of fat activists, if that makes sense. Yeah, which seems so fortunate, because you hear about a lot of other recovery stories where people became it really just fed their fat phobia, and, and really hindered their ability to, to, you know, kind of come full circle with their recovery, like they would get to a point where they're, you know, just kind of restored and okay, but still terrified of, mm-hmm. of, of what might happen to their body. Yeah, I feel super lucky to have had her such an early influence um, in this process. I'm endlessly and forever grateful that that I got to be that I got to be in connection and in relationship with her. Mm -hmm. So how how important has it been for you to weave fat politics into your work and and how you help your clients? I it's everything. Actually, I cannot imagine doing this work without that piece. Like, I just don't even think that it's possible. So I think that I don't personally believe that 
eating disorders, but not just eating disorders, right? The whole spectrum of disordered eating, chronic, chronically being dissatisfied, trying to restrict our appetites and our needs in order to be some level of acceptability that keeps changing, you know, all of those things, I don't think we can heal if we're not also healing from fat phobia and weight stigma. And for that matter, then all of the ways that's connected to all forms of oppression or all forms of systems that say that the bodies that we're in are not okay. Mm-hmm. And I, and you do a lot of work around like uh, helping other eating disorder communities to recognize that and incorporate that into their work. Is that correct? I, yeah, I try. Yeah. <laughs> I, I aspire to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find a lot of resistance there? Like, do you find it's, 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 you know, just so embedded in the system that it's hard to change? Or do you feel like it's starting to change? I think that the field is um, having a reckoning right now around this. And I think it's overdue in many ways. I feel like, what do I want to say? Um, it depends that I, that there are some people who are open and willing and, and doing the work to kind of root out and unearth the ways that fat phobia is influencing what they believe around health and recovery and how to practice. Um, and then I, I also think there's ways that people don't think that it influences their work, but it does. Um, and then there are people who are unapologetic, unapologetically, um, firm in their stance that obesity is a problem that we all need to do something about. Mm. So it, it kind of depends on where I am and who I'm talking to. Yeah, that, I imagine that must be super frustrating at times. Sometimes it's endlessly frustrating. <laughs> and growth, you know, industries don't change without a whole, whole lot of discomfort and without pushback, right? So I think I think there's a reckoning happening. I think it's there are some people being very vocal about the need to rethink a lot of this stuff. And it's scary. You know, we don't like realizing ways we've been complicit in a harmful system. I think we need to have, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy to do. It takes some bravery. Yeah, well, and that statement alone runs really deep. Like that's not even just, you know, that's, that's applying to everything, you know, whether white supremacy and everything else. Yeah, yeah. Which is also embedded in eating disorder recovery communities, too. So, it all lives. It all yeah, lives. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned, you know, helping people like with internalized fat phobia and weight stigma. And I'm curious to know, you know, what ha- what what has helped you to do that? I know you worked, you mentioned working with um, Suzanne Wheeler, obviously, and she was, you know, kind of the role model that helped you to unpack those things for yourself. But I guess what strategies, you know, do you find the most effective when you're working with clients? So it was Susan Woolley that I worked with. Oh, sorry. No, don't be, don't be. I just wanted to make sure that I had her. Susan um, Woolley. Yeah. Yeah. So strategies I use. It's interesting because I don't think often in terms of strategy, Sometimes I do, but I think the first thing that I want to be doing is asking, is asking really good questions. So one of the questions that I'll um, think about together with somebody is where, where are we actually locating the problem? And so the, all of these things that we've been talking about, try to say that the problem is located inside of our bodies, that our body is the problem. And that if we can fix the problem of our bodies, we're going to have the things that we want. And what I want to shift the thinking to is that the problem isn't located in our bodies at all. It's actually located in systems outside of us. And there's no way to, there's no way to win actually, if we're trying to solve the 
the quote unquote, I'm using quotes there, the problems of our bodies, that that's not where the solution lies. So lots of questioning around that, lots of analysis around where, where, where are these messages coming from? Who do they benefit? Who do they harm? What's the goal? You know, those kinds of consciousness raising questions that will, that I work on with, with folks. Mm-hmm. There's lots of supporting of resistance and the ways that people find to resist the system that says we're not okay as we are. Um, I got that from a, a actually a therapist that I, uh, yeah, a therapist, psychologist, activist in Vancouver. Her name's Vicki Reynolds. And I met with her once and she, she said, you know, I, I don't want to hear so much the stories of people's trauma. I want to hear their stories of resistance. Mm. And so there's a place that, that I want to hear those that I want to, that I want to align myself with those. I want to be an ally to someone's resistance. What else do I, do I do? I think it's, it's, you know, Deb Burgard talks about health at every size as a stigma resistance practice. And so kind of, you know, I'm, I'm fumbling for words here. Sometimes it feels hard to put into words what I feel like I do when I'm with somebody. Um, <laughs> I get that. You know I mean? <laughs> it's, it can be super ambiguous. I know. Well, at least that's how I describe it to people. I remember a quote from Fritz Perls when I was school and somebody asked him, what do you do with people? He's like, I don't actually know. Why don't you just sit in and tell me? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> to to it, it is different with everybody, too. So you can't even like you can't nail it down as a process. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think it's naming systems of oppression as systems of oppression. Right. And and not that that alone does it. I mean, I think the other thing to say is that this takes a long time mm-hmm. to to um to work with. And, and I don't know that we, I'm, I'm going to quote a lot of my favorite people here right now, but I, I heard this quote from Vicki Reynolds and it came from Andrea Smith. And she said, you can't heal from patriarchy. Yes. It blew my mind when I heard it. I was like, right. So to me, one of the places that sends me is that I want to help people get connected into community. And because the work one-on-one in my office isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Isn't enough, right? Like you can't come into my office and work on healing from fat stigma and walk right out to a, right work. I'm sorry, walk right back out into a stigmatizing world. Mm-hmm. Like that's that, that, like the world has to change, and so helping people do take on that as well, like kind of supporting whatever activism wants to show up, um, but mostly for myself. Like I don't know if I'm making any sense right now. I'm kind of. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit all over the place, but there's, I guess what I'm saying is that, that it, that in order for us to heal from these kinds of things, we have to be changing the conditions that are producing them. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, so look, I would love to talk to you more about that. Cause it's, it's, it's almost like the chicken and the egg a bit in terms of healing, right? Cause it's hard to be activated to want to change those things when you're so affected by it, I think if I'm articulating that correctly. Say, say that again. So I think it's, it's, it, um, <laughs> it's going to be a bunch of word bob- babble, okay. but it, I guess it's, 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 it's like, okay, so healing that we have to change the systems, but uh-huh. who, but who bears the responsibility of changing those systems? The person who is trying to heal at the same time, which makes it difficult. Oh yeah. No, I think, I think I didn't mean to place the responsibility of that onto the person trying to heal. It's right. more, it's more me saying healing, the, you know, the question about how do I help people heal from stigma is complicated because we live in a stigmatizing world, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to take on the project of both and know the responsibility lies on all of us. Yes. Clearly. Yes. Um, it's not up to the most marginalized people to be doing the work all the time, right? So those of us with 
with privilege or with body privilege also have to make sure that we're putting this front and center. So, so no, I think the responsibility for changing definitely doesn't doesn't lie on the individual. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, that makes, that makes, that that makes more sense to me. I was just trying to wrap my brain around, around it because. Yeah. I I probably was unclear also, um, as we're, you know, I'm fumbling with this a little bit this morning too. (laughs) Uh, We're sharing the same brain wavelength. It's all good. We might be. We might be. (laughs) I might've influenced you negatively when we first started talking and I mentioned that. Not at all. (laughs) Greatly sleep deprived. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, that statement that Vicky said to you, you can't heal from patriarchy is so powerful. So I mean, what's the what what's our objective? Is it resistance? Then is it, um, you know, how would you phrase that? Do you think? Yeah, it's funny when I heard you say it back. It's like, well, that sounds kind of um, defeating, except that it's not right. It points us again towards where the problem actually lies. And so that's what I think our objective is, right, is, is creating a world where everybody has access and rights and resources to the things that help them thrive. Mm-hmm. And, and doing away with and building and building something new, right, doing away with a world that says only certain people are worthy because of the body that they're in. And that's so much beyond just size and shape that I'm talking about right now, right, that, that, that the project is tearing that down and, and doing something else, right? Rebuilding this system that, that we've been living in for forever. Mm -hmm. seems like, yeah. Well, that's the amazing thing when I notice people doing this work for themselves is that it opens them up to have the resources to be able to do that, to help others, you know, to, to be able to speak out and, become more educated and informed and involved in, in these, in these matters. And so, yeah, I think sometimes it can seem a little bit superficial, like recovery or, you know, like feeling comfortable in your body. But I think, you know, depending on the person you're working with and how they're framing it and, and weaving in the, the political side of it, I think it really does result in such a bigger, shift in the individual that enables them to go out there and, you know, be change agents for the world. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Which is pretty amazing, which I think, you know, must be pretty gratifying for you. Mm. It is for me. It's it feels necessary. And like, like, I can't not be engaged in that way. It can have periods where it feels exhausting. And, you know, I don't always know what to do with how long it seems to take for some things to change sometimes. But if I abandon kind of the idea that it's going to change in my lifetime, then I just show up and do what I, what I have to do, mm-hmm. you know, which isn't to say it won't change or can't change, but I just have to do what I'm doing regardless of, of when that happens. Have you tried Stitch Fix? If you are looking for stylish clothes that also fit you and your budget perfectly, then you are definitely going to want to check out Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. Here is how it works. You go to their website to sign up and you get paired with your very own personal stylist, an actual human who will take your preferences and fit information and handpick five items to send your way. The items are delivered right to your home. You try them on, pay only for what you love and return the rest. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are all free. There is no subscription required either, so there's no hidden fees. You can get your fix whenever you want or sign up to receive scheduled shipments. 
I've heard from so many people in my body positive circle who love their experience with Stitch Fix and the stylist they were paired with, especially because they carry a full range of sizes, including 0 to 24, up to 3X. Ready to up your style game? Get started with 25% off today when you keep all five items in your box. Go to stitchfix.com slash self-love to try Stitch Fix today. That's stitchfix.com slash self-love and you will save 25% off if you keep all five items in your box. So, um, you know, you, I follow you on Facebook and I don't know if you just like let anyone follow you cause you just let me follow you, but <laughs> <laughs> anybody is welcome to come follow me. Yes. Okay. Okay. No, pe- I don't accept people on my personal page for everybody listening. <laughs> follow my business page. But anyways, I followed you. The veil is very thin for me between my personal and professional. So it's Okay. <laughs> I'm a little bit of I'm a little bit of a private person. I just yeah. Anyways, um, but with everything that's going on politically right now, like you know, there's there's just there's there's a lot of of feelings, and I think you know there's a lot of yeah. anger. There's a lot of there's a whole mess of emotions, really. So I'm I'm curious to know because you had mentioned something about just feeling more hardened, and so I'm curious to know like how you're processing that. What are you oh, doing with yeah. with that energy? I said that on Facebook, didn't I? Yeah. yeah that is, I, is that I, okay that I mentioned that here? Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was feeling pissy and fractious and, you know, mean spirited inside and just, um, hateful to be honest, mm-hmm. like with the thing after thing, after thing, after thing, after thing that seems to be happening in the news that I am tuning into and, and in the world, right? And and what's being done. And I, Sunday Renee Taylor posted a live video that captivated me. And she talked about being careful that we don't become the thing we oppose. And so like, I don't want what's happening in the world to make me hateful. Like I want to stay angry. That's fine. I need that. But I don't want to, I don't want to turn into like, it's almost like the thing that I hate about this administration in this country the most, the thing that I hate the most is making me feel so much hate. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, no, wait, this is, this is fucked up. I can't, this isn't okay. I don't want to be, I don't want to be feeling this, yes. you know, like I want to be feeling rage. Yes. Like I want to, I mean, cause it's appropriate and it's legit and it's valid and it's necessary, but I don't want to feel so hardened. And I want I want to keep coming back to being driven by love. And I don't mean that in any kind of sappy sense because it's a furious kind of love. So what is your question? <laughs> your question is, what am I doing? What am yeah, I doing? Like, how are you I shifting have... that? Well, because I see that a lot. Like you, you said it yeah. right there, like just feeling hateful and mean spirited and, and you see that and it really becomes, you know, it just creates kind of a, a larger yeah. divide between individuals and uh, you know, it, and and not good for our own emotional well-being to be able to do anything about say, it. Yeah, it's more. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be tr- ending up feeling towards people the way that I think Trump is feeling. Like, I don't want to become the thing that I hate. But I also don't like its impact on me and in me. Mm-hmm. And so, what I'm doing is looking for stories where, looking for stories that touch me. Um, I'm I'm reading more poetry, right? That, and I'm listening to more music. Like I have to bring in 
those elements Mm -hmm. so that I'm sustainable, so that this work is sustainable. So the, the, the things that we're trying to do, we can, we can make sure we last for, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm trying to do those kinds of things. And then, and then it's finding people where I can fall apart and where I can not know and where I can feel all of it. (laughs) And then, and then get back and into the, you know, get back into doing my work. Um, I, I think the question is hard to answer because I'm still trying to figure that out for myself. Yeah. What, what I need to be doing to feel nourished and sustainable here. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is for the long haul. It's uh, not, not yeah, changing quickly. It is. It is. And I think, um, I don't know, for me, it's like one of those things where I have to just like kind of really think my first response is generally the, the sort of hateful and mean spirited one. And I have to just sort of hold on to that and then come back from a different perspective. That's, that's, you know, when I'm in conversation or thinking about replying to something, but I feel like there's a parallel there too, to doing this work around, uh, you know, like really dismantling diet culture because you you hear people get hateful and mean spirited towards people who are dieting you know like that's a natural reaction once you've really opened your eyes and you're doing this own thing and then you if you have friends that are dieting and you almost want to be like you know a little bit mean spirited towards them about it I think it's easy to get mad at people and not stay mad at systems and I to be clear I'm mad at certain people actually right now. <laughs> yes, that's justified. <laughs> but, but when people are doing what they've been taught to do, when people are doing what they think they're supposed to do in order to find love acceptance, I'm not mad about that. I understand that. Mm-hmm. I'm mad at the system that tells us that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. You know? And that's a huge yeah. differentiator because I think it if we is. hold resentment towards individuals, especially people in our lives, it, as you said, just makes us more hardened. And then, you know, I mean, you're, you're taking the, the, the anger and the hatred that you were directing onto yourself and projecting it towards something else, which is positive, but not, not necessarily positive when it's an individual. So just coming back to the, you know, just you said you were looking for stories that touch you and music and really trying to nourish yourself with that. I was having this conversation with a client last week. It's just she was feeling so guilty about taking any time for herself when there's so much hurt and turmoil happening. Like she was like, Mm -hmm. I need to be, Mm -hmm. you know, reading, I need to be responding, I need to be doing stuff. You know, how do you manage that? Do you feel do you feel guilty? Do you or, you know, how how do you kind of reframe that for yourself? Nope, I don't feel guilty. I feel like there's a both there that that it takes a certain, you know, it requires a certain amount of privilege to be able to take a break from this. Yes, that's true. That's absolutely accurate. And I know that. And, and I also need to, there's a difference between taking a break and coming back, right? And, and getting right back to work and turning away from because we can't know or we don't want to hear. Mm. So I think there's a real difference between those two. So I sometimes need a night where I'm not watching television, but that doesn't mean I'm not informed about what happened during the day. There's times when I need to take off and go for a hike in the mountains. And that's okay for me to do because it lets me come back and do work, you know? So I don't feel guilty for, for making, you know, 
I don't think that guilt actually serves anything. It doesn't change anything, mm-hmm. right? So people are say, I, I don't want to know, or I feel guilty for um, doing what I need to do. Like that system keeps us stuck also. Yes. Right? That, that system keeps us immobilized. Feeling guilty doesn't, doesn't do anything. And it might be a feeling that I pass through, but I sure don't want to stay there. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I've got privilege to be able to take a break. Let me take a break and then come back and use my privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, the system also would prefer you to be exhausted and drained and not be able to do anything either. Absolutely. Which Absolutely. is, which is, so I see the self-care as a form of resistance. It's like, no, I'm going to recharge and then come back to be more energized, to be, to, to be able to actually do something instead of trying to do it from a place of exhaustion. There's also just the other, the other piece of that is that we've been socialized to feel guilty for getting our needs met. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's okay for me to have a need. It's okay for me to recognize a need. It's okay for me to, to get that need met and to take care of it. That, that there's a way a lot of people don't feel like they can do that or have the right to do that or want to do that or, you know, feel guilty for, for having self-care in there. Yes. So important. Uh, speaking of which, hmm. how do you help people like really break through that that sense of guilt? I know you said it doesn't do anything, but you know what's what what would you be your advice to someone who just feels guilty with like taking having their needs met or taking time for themselves? Well, there's a couple different things I think about in response to that question, and you know, there's some there's some question in me around how, how somebody, how we get disconnected from our needs. Well, actually I know some of the how, but you know, like what, what messages did we internalize and believe around what it means to really take care of ourselves? And is that a belief that we really still want to live our lives according to? There's something in there around what you said it a minute ago that the system prefers us exhausted. I think there's a question around who benefits if I'm not taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. Like, and who genuinely benefits? Like we might think it's our family that we're prioritizing. I don't think they really benefit if we are not nourished in all ways, right? And all in the bigger senses of that word. Who benefits if I'm if I'm not fully resourced? Does that does that make sense? Um, yeah. So asking those kinds of questions, and then there's there's like the world needs us and this planet needs us and it is okay for us to get our needs met. It's okay for us to take up space. It's like, let's just, let's just take that belief head on. And none of these things are easy to do. I realize it's easy for me to just say these words. It's not easy to rethink what we've, you know, developed strategies around. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have strategies they develop around. I'm going to put my needs last because either it's, I don't believe they're going to get met. It's too painful to have them. People take advantage of them. So we just divorce ourselves from, from our needs and we do that as a strategy and it worked. So having, you know, having some knowing that we were brilliant and, and finding what we needed to do. And, and is there a way that we can kind of, um, loosen that up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, I feel like it's such a practice to, to, you know, to, you can't just switch it off. I think it's like, it's absolutely. A, it's a, yeah. Healing is a path, right? Mm-hmm. It's a process. It's not a, it's not a one-time event. It's not a destination. It's a, it's an ongoing looking at, you know, how am I and what do I need? Right. It's that kind of, you know, attuned eating is, is bigger than that. It's also, 
attuned attunement to all of our different all of our different needs and and who we are and what our heart needs and what our spirit needs and you know part of what that needs is changes day to day Mm-hmm. Yes. It, uh, okay. So yeah, I love that you mentioned it. it's an attunement to all of our needs, because I think that if we're only focusing on the food part of it, then we're missing a huge chunk of the puzzle. And we're missing a huge chunk of being able to cultivate trust with ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it's an important piece. It's a, it's a piece there's a lot of suffering around. But that process of tuning into our needs and finding a way to get them met and finding out what our limits are and honoring those, like that's bigger, that's more broad than just our relationship with food. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of ways we're taught that we're supposed to restrict ourselves to meeting a definition of what's legitimate. And it's kind of saying, finding ways to say no to to all of that, all of the ways we try to put ourselves into a box of acceptability. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, like I, I definitely am more of a rebellious type. So like this really activates change in me. Like I'm like, okay, well, you know, mm-hmm. if you're telling society's told me I'm supposed to be this way, well, I'm not going to be that way. That's really easy. For, that's a really good motivator for me. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, so I think I could, you know, I see that difference in when I work with clients that have that. Um, mm-hmm. And not everyone has it, which is totally okay. Yeah, I guess I'm curious to know, like, you know, in a circumstance where, where that rebellion, like, doesn't resonate, you know, what, how, like, how do you help someone kind of, act, you know, see it through that? or activate that rebellion in them? Is it even possible? I'm just curious. Oh, there's a couple different questions in there, right? So- <laughs> I think I spewed like four <laughs> questions at you. <laughs> so maybe, maybe let's just talk about rebellion. So in talking about rebellion, I noticed that all of the place, all of the work I was doing at one point, I was working a lot with teenagers, working a lot with binge eating, there was this theme of rebellion that I was noticing in both of those places that I loved. It felt alive to me. It felt wise. I love the rebellious energy. I love the energy that rises up and says, you don't get to tell me what kind of body I get to live in. You don't get to tell me what I want. You don't get to tell me what I'm allowed to have. You don't get to tell me who I get to be. Right? It's a, it's, um, it's a super intelligent, wise part of ourselves that says, no, <laughs> no, like, um, I'm not, it's like the, you're, you're, it's, it's that, it's that energy we have when we were little. Some of us that says, you're not the boss of me. You don't get to tell, you know, and, it, and the ways that it shows up then is a few ways, right? It can show up in the way that I'm not going to do anything just because somebody tells me to. It can show up in, you just told me I wasn't supposed to eat that. So now watch me. It can show up as the image that I get is like a camel that just wants to sit down and spit, right? Like the more you try to get it to move, <laughs> the more it just sits there and it's like, nope, yeah. I'm not moving. <laughs> and the more you want me to move, the more I'm going to sit here, right? And so I want to support that energy, particularly in the beginning when it shows up. I think there's, it's, it's an effort towards, or it's a move towards freedom, right? Mm. It's a, it's a impulse towards freedom that says, I want to be free from rules and restrictions. That the problem that I see people running into is a bouncing back and forth sometimes between compliance and rebellion, a way that if I'm only doing the opposite of what I think I'm supposed to do, that's actually not where freedom lives. Mm. So the rebellion is necessary. And, and I think there's a way to, to, to question, like, am I doing it because 
am I acting out something or making a decision or making a choice because it's the opposite of what I think I'm supposed to do? Or is this the choice that really feels like it fits for me? And so there's some way of breaking out of the system altogether of, I'm either saying yes, or I'm saying no, based on compliance and rebellion. And I want to find that place that's really aligned with what feels the most true for me in this moment. And, and how can I find that and make decisions from that place as much as possible? Did that make any sense? Yes. No, 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 it totally did. Because I I've seen that I've seen that, that exact thing, the bouncing between the compliance and rebellion and people getting kind of stuck there. Yeah. And, and they might bounce them back and forth for a while. I'm sorry. I think I just yeah. didn't No, no, no. That's perfect. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. There's also a theme I'm noticing in my work with folks these days where they know they don't want to restrict, right? And, and to them, that means complying with some rule of what I can't have, right? So I don't want to restrict anymore. And so there's almost an overshooting on the other side where let's just use an example somebody has a plate of cookies and the person says, I don't really want one right now. That doesn't feel like something that I'm interested in, but I feel like I have to, to prove that I'm not restricting. Mm, Yes. And that's not quite rebellion, but there is a way that that's still not quite lined up with what my truth is in this moment. And so there's a way that we can find a way to say no, that doesn't feel like it's restriction. Right. You know? Yes. And I think that's, again, it's one of those things that doesn't switch on. It's like, it's a little, it's messy when you've had that, when you've had your trust stripped away from you for so long. Absolutely. And it's one of those things that it's like, you may eat the cookie out of rebellion and then be like, well, I didn't actually want it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. what can I just kind of learn or reflect on that for the next time without without it being about like you did something wrong? Of course, this is all just experimentation. Yeah. Try to frame it that way as much as possible. We're all just experimenting. Like, let's just, let's just try something out and see what you learn in the process. Like if you stay as close to your experience as you can stay, then you'll know something, right? Our bodies are so wise. They're going to give us information. They're going to give us feedback. If we can get fluid and kind of fluent in the language of our bodies, which is a process too, then we can, we can get the information from the experiment and then see what we want to do with that. Yeah. And be curious, I think is the word that I always use with people, you know, I'm like, because it's, it is like an experiment. I'm like, just observe it as if you're kind of, you know, just observing what, (laughs) observing (laughs) an experiment. (laughs) Um, You know, you're, you're curious with it. You're not like, you know, wholeheartedly attached to an outcome or depending on what, you know, what happened. Or being afraid of doing something wrong. Yes. Was I wrong for having the cookie? Was I wrong for not having the cookie? Like if it, you know, it, it, (laughs) If we can step out of that system. And then sometimes I think curiosity can bring that childlike quality of like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what I get to learn about myself if I try this thing, mm-hmm. right? Or if I, if I do something different, what am I going to, what am I going to find out? I don't know. Let's try. Awesome. Nice. That's that, we got to end it there because I know you, <laughs> you've, you've got to jump, but um, where can people find more of you? You can follow me on Facebook. That's totally fine. I don't tend to be on most other forms of social media just yet, not that much. Um, you can also find me on my website, uh, www.carmencool.com. It's a little outdated. I'm in the process of changing that, but you can definitely find me over there. Nice. Well, I, as I said to you, I mean, I've referred a couple people to you, so I definitely... I so appreciate that. I, I, thank you. You're welcome. So people who are looking for... for uh, sorry, is your type, proper title a psychotherapist? Is, am I getting that correct? 
That's correct. Okay. Yep. Yes. Highly recommend. Because um, I've heard wonderful things from people who have worked, for, worked oh, with you. I appreciate it. And I'm so honored to be on your podcast. Thank you so much for asking Thank me. you so much for being here. It was really great chatting with you. You too. Thank you. Rock on. I love that conversation so much. We covered so many great topics. You can find everything that we mentioned in the show notes at summerinandin.com forward slash 131. Thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you soon. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.